Well, I think that I might move into the modernist white box, but whether it stayed modernist white box for more than a week would be um would be debatable. I mean, when I moved into my penthouse, it was a modernist white box, and I and a close friend of mine said, "Well, you can't live in this, Sandra, can you?" <laughs> and we immediately changed it. Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is the Grand Tourist. I've been a design journalist for nearly 20 years, and this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. My guest today is a fashion and textile designer, style icon, and a true visionary who's always ahead of her time, Dame Zandra Rhodes. Born in Kent to a mother who really knew her way around a sewing machine, Zandra studied textile design, and her legendary career flowed from there. Over the decades that followed, she made a name for herself with bold prints and even bolder colors, often with flowing silhouettes. In the 1970s, her so-called conceptual chic collection was a major part of the punk era, bringing safety pins and holes into the mainstream, ages ahead of others. Over the years, she's dressed both actual royalty as well as rock royalty, and she started a museum devoted to fashion and textiles in London and won numerous awards, including a daytime Emmy in 1979. In 2012, when the UK decided to create a series of postage stamps devoted to the British greats, she was right up there with Vivian Westwood, Paul Smith, and Alexander McQueen. And even after 50-plus years in the business, she not only hasn't stopped working, but she hasn't relinquished her own bodacious sense of style, including her fuchsia-colored hair that's been her signature for decades. Her positive outlook on life and color isn't just for show, as you'll read in the new book, Rare Birds, True Style, by Violet Naylor Leyland. Zandra's rainbow-colored flat above the Textile Museum is one of the many stylish homes in the book on eccentric British style. More on that later. I caught up with Zandra Rhodes from her London studio to discuss her upbringing, how Diana Vreeland changed her life, her time in New York, and her secrets to a successful career. And stick around to the very end for some more practical advice. So I kind of wanted to start... um, in the beginning with you, uh, and you grew up in Kent, right? Which is in, in Southeast yes, England for yes. us in the U.S. And I was wondering, what was life like for a young Zandra Rhodes? What were you like as a child? I think I was quite a boring, studious child, really. I really? was always um, drawing and, and, and getting on with things. What did you like to draw as a kid? What did I draw? Probably more. I drew a lot of patterns. I remember doing the wiggly lines that everyone knows me for. I did that one at school. But then I would be later when I was sort of probably about 15, I started to do things like drawing my mother at her sewing machine and things like that. So I'd be, I did love drawing. And when it, and your mother worked in fashion later for most of your, I think for your childhood, uh, was a teacher. My mother was a teacher at the at the college there, and she taught dressmaking to the to students. So I was always aware of things being made, but never imagined that I would be making them myself. It was always what your parents did. Oh, my father was a, a truck driver, and my as I say, my mother was a a, a very very stylish lady. And they'd met ballroom dancing, so she made her ballroom dancing dresses as well. She taught in the local art college and was a very inspirational, amazing lady. And what was her uh, 
her sense of style like when you maybe think back to it? When I think back to it, she wore, she always wore lots of makeup, lipstick and eyeshadow. And she had a big curl that she sprayed silver on her, the front (laughs) of her head. And so she didn't look like any of the other mothers. (laughs) And when it was, when it was open day at school, she said, I'd say to her, please don't come looking different from all the other mothers. But she always did. And was your dad equally uh, equally a stylish guy? I suppose when he dressed up to dance at ballroom dancing, he would have been. But the rest of the time, he was in like an old dungaree suit working in the garden. <laughs> and and um, I mean, obviously, you know, you're you're known for your, your sense of color and, and pattern. And I'm curious... Also, we're going to be talking about this book. So I'm curious, what was home life? What was the, the decor of the world around you at home? And, in, and not just in your home, but also in, in Kent and the kind of the... In, in those days, you didn't go into other people's homes. That's what is so strange. You know, it was more that when, for example, I remember after school, I'd knock at the door at home because we didn't have a door key because... My mother didn't like that idea. You know, it was always someone there. But say it was, say, in the afternoon and my father was home and I'd knock at the door and say, oh, can Gillian come to tea? You know what I mean? So that in the main, you didn't go into other people's homes. So I don't remember what other people's homes were like inside, which is so, which is so strange now where you go into people's homes. Well, now we know everything about people's homes, about everyone's life. <laughs> I know, but it's it's a, when I think back, it's very strange. I, I'm curious uh, when you kind of had those dis- discussions, like everybody else does, with their parents about you know what are you going to go to school for, what are you going to do, you know maybe go to university or do anything like that. Did they encourage? Did your mother or anyone encourage you to kind of to study textile design, which is you know how you started? I think that because my mother taught at the art college, she was very encouraging to me doing artistic work and going to the art college. And if I once said to her, what if I'd have wanted to leave school early? She said, oh, I wouldn't have let you, you know. So, but she was a very clever mother in that you did her will without knowing it. That's why she was so clever. Yeah. And and you you studied home textile designs first for interiors. Is that correct? In the main, in those days, one thought of doing textiles, yes, for, for interiors. It was very fashionable and there were lots of lovely wallpapers and, and very dramatic furnishing fabrics. And so I suppose really I was the first in a group from the people at the at the Royal College, which was my final university, to make the decision that I wanted to go into doing textiles for clothes. After studying locally in Kent, Zondra went on to the Royal College of Art, majoring in textile design. Before striking out on her own, she opened a boutique called Fulham Road Clothes. She founded with designer Sylvia Ayton, with dresses that incorporated her own textiles in 1967. It was short-lived, but got her noticed. I wanted to ask her what it was like starting out and how getting noticed by Diana Vreeland, the legendary editor of Vogue, put her work on an international stage. When you had your first shop, what was that like? And did you enjoy the kind of, you know, the entrepreneurship? Was that, what was that like, you know, being a, a young businesswoman back then, sort of starting your own 
a brand as we would today we would call it a brand but you know oh it, it was fairly tough going because you know we were having to teach two days a week to make the money to live we weren't being paid by the Fulham Road clothes shop we'd only have just raised enough money for the shop to exist so we weren't paid by it what were some of your first clients oh Penelope Tree Penelope Tree was one of my first clients and bought a, a wonderful trouser outfit that was made exotically of, of scarves. And, uh, you know, we were so we were so overwhelmed that she came into the shop. That's a good that's a good client to have. It's like a thing. that was very did lovely. She, did she stick with you for a while or come back? later? Uh, well, I saw her later in life, but I mean, the Fulham Road Clothes Shop was only open for a year and then it uh, disappeared into thin air and Sylvia got offered another job and I ended up with my two days of teaching and no job. And that's when I decided after the influence of two marvelous um, exotic models, American models, Ukrainian American models, that I should go to America with my designs. Mm. And what was what was that like your first time in the in the states? It was like being starstruck, and it was the fact that I had a letter of introduction to Diana Freeland, the head of American Vogue, who I still think has been the high priestess ever. And she saw the designs and raved about them and said, "We we'll have to photograph them on Natalie Wood." And she called Natalie Wood, and then she called Henry Bendel, the top boutique in New York, and they featured my clothes. So it was really like being on a magic carpet. Did, did you enjoy your time in the states back then? Like your those sort of first times? And it was perfectly wonderful, and I still look back and think of it as a time that I can't believe. And what was Diana Reeland like? You know. Know, did you wind up meeting her in person or was this all? Through, oh, no, um, no. I met her in person. And then later on in life, I read to her when she was going blind. And, you know, she stayed in touch and was always wonderful about my things. And can you tell me, can you describe to the listeners, like, you know, what that what that first collection was and why you think that it was a success? Like, what do you think caught her eye about it? Um, everything in the dis textile designs was designed by me. The knitted circle was a very large circle, um, and I'd drawn it as if it had been all hand-knitted. And then I made kaftans, and the kaftans were made of these very big designs, and the, and the sleeves were whole circles. And the, the print, so the print was what dominated the whole thing. It dominated the a yellow coat that I did where that was a circle and I'd got someone to show me how to make patterns so that the what I, I printed it myself and then cut it out and then had it machined and made up. Before we return to Zandra, a word from our sponsor, Lumens. We're living in a golden age of design where architects, interior designers and estates have access to nearly every brand in the world. As this magazine veteran knows all too well, a trusted source is essential to any successful design story. That's where Lumens comes in. As the preeminent destination for grand tourist-worthy lighting, furniture, and accessories, Lumens carries designs from more than 350 global brands. With in-house service and account specialists that are your personal connection to good design, Lumens curates authentic designs that run the gamut from iconic pieces to of-the-moment exclusives by designers fans of this podcast will certainly recognize, like Piero Lissoni, Philippe Stark, and Patrizia Urquiola. And Lumens has one designer-friendly feature that I find totally helpful. 
Not only can you sort your shopping results by color, but also by finish. So if you're inspired by Zandra and her penchant for eye-popping color in all things, and want to indulge on pieces in Viva Magenta, Pantone's color of the year, let's say, you can do that at Lumens. So if you fancy a coat rack in green or perhaps a bed in paprika red, visit lumens.com to find the right design for your home or project. That's L-U-M-E-N-S dot com. Fast forwarding a little bit, another sort of turning point in in your career was um, Conceptual Chic, which I believe was 77. Yes, You're very good. You've read all these things. Oh, yes, of course. I do my homework. The Grand Tourist does his homework, of course. (laughs) So she was speaking to a a dame. Are you kidding? Um, And and this was like you picked up on punk a little bit, probably early. As a, 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 you know, for me, I think of punk as like 80s and early 80s, you know, uh, but maybe I'm maybe. That's when it had really reached, probably spread worldwide. I think that. It was already um, going on in the streets at the time when I picked up on it. And mine is really the couture version that, well, Versace did his dress with the safety pins and holes. He did his dress about, I think, 11 years later, the one that was on Elizabeth Hurley for the Oscars. With yours, like, how? Did, what was the reaction like at the time? I'm curious. Like, did people say, wow, this is so young and hip and cool? Or were they kind of like, are you... Crazy um, the magazines photographed it and loved it. Um, it was not a good selling proposition. I guess if people, I guess if the look is to is a little DIY, maybe the the audience was uh, unwilling to pay. I don't know. Probably yes, but it, they're now collectors' items. You know, I mean the the, the top and skirt that I did, Philadelphia Museum paid $6,000 for theirs that they've got, you know, so there are very, very few of them. You know, going back a little bit to your time uh, that you had spent in New York and used to spend, I think, a couple of months, a year here in in New York, um, I read that you used to go clubbing at Studio 54. Uh, Was that true? Oh, yes, I did go to Studio 54 during its height. (laughs) What was that like? Everyone has their own Studio 54 story, so I'm wondering if you had any. I think it was this world. It it was during the world of Halston and Bianca and everything like that and, and, and Warhol. And I look back at it now and it's almost like a funny dream. But, I mean, I'd go there and be out late at night, which I wouldn't dream of doing now. And I read that used to like, you know, I'm probably maybe coming home after a late night, but like in the early morning, kind of like draw skyscrapers and things like that um, in like sketchbooks. Oh, I did. You're so good. You've done lots of research. I mean, (laughs) yes, I did go out and draw skyscrapers and and looking out of the window and draw skyscrapers if I was lucky enough to be in looking, looking at another one. And then one of my prints that I really adore, which is the one of Manhattan that I use not only on my dresses, but I did a range of wallpaper, um, range of wallpapers that's out at the moment, which is the Manhattan landscape, you know, and I, and, um, you know, it's been really, really wonderful. And I'm just decorating my apartment with it. So I'm really thrilled. 
and you you dressed a lot of you know famous people throughout your day and i i think you one of them was a a top for freddie mercury oh yes i did i did tops um for freddie mercury and brian at that time you know and then i did some tops also for mark bolan and when you're when you're working with men like this where is it ever i mean i don't you're not synonymous with menswear but i'm I'm always curious, has there always been that kind of temptation to kind of do more in that? There is, but it never cropped up. But it was always wonderful just dressing different people. You know, when Lauren Bacall came to me to get dresses, it was fabulous. You know, so that it always strikes me. It's just wonderful when they appear. And I feel I'm. It, it's been wonderful to do them clothes like that. Any memorable uh, or surprising stories, I guess I would say, from from one of these kinds of clients? One of the most memorable was actually when Lauren Bacall came. She stepped on a pin in my studio and she was going, oh, oh, oh. And I'm thinking, what have I done? And she stepped on a pin. Oh, it was like oh, death. I thought I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> she didn't need a tetanus shot, I hope. No, she didn't need a tetanus shot, no, but okay, it was very okay. scary. Oh, yeah. And did you ever design anything for, for Lady Di? I think you, you I made about five dresses for Lady Di. And one of them that everyone remembers is the off-shoulder one, with the which was pale pink, with the pearls where she was in Japan and she announced she was pregnant. And that was when she was in that very pretty dress that looked lovely. And did you have to do a lot of fittings with her or did you get to... I, I used to go to the palace to fit her for those dresses because the original one she tried on was black. And in those days, they didn't wear black at all. So that I, you know, so that I had it would then be remade in another color. And what was she like as a client? She was very shy. She was very shy and she didn't really yeah. say very much. And, you know, if you're English... You, you wait till you're spoken to from royalty as well. <laughs> so it was all quite amazing, really. And it was quite fabulous to go to the palace and curtsy when you got there and, uh, and fit her and everything like that. Before we return to Zandra, a word from our sponsor, Fort Street Studio. Fort Street Studio's sumptuous carpets are expertly hand-knotted and executed in nuanced color combinations that are the signature of the studio's painterly designs which originate from watercolor art. One of the studio's hallmarks are special commissions in non-repeating and asymmetrical carpet designs. Fort Street Studio's creative directors get their cues from the worlds of fashion, jewelry, and contemporary art for inspiration. But everything can be customized to fit the demands of a special interior. The brand has a special access to the best dye masters in the artisanal rug industry and can easily match or coordinate with the fabrics, paints, and finishes in a room. Harmonious palettes of color can even contain unexpected tones that create a sparkle or shadow effect. To create your own bespoke masterpiece carpet, visit FortStreetStudio.com. The most amazing part about Zandra is that she's still working today, collaborating with so many brands in just about every industry one can imagine from bedding and wallpaper to shoes, socks, and even public service announcements. In 2003, Zandra opened London's Fashion and Textile Museum, the only one in the UK devoted to contemporary works of the kind, and she placed it in a former warehouse. It's now a part of London's Newham College. A major retrospective on Zandra's career opened there right before the pandemic, 
And as Zandra will explain, one of the upcoming shows is dedicated to the textiles of Andy Warhol. I wanted to ask Zandra about the museum, how she navigates her career after half a century, and her own unstoppable sense of style documented in the book Rare Birds. And if, if I were to ask Zandra Rhodes, you know, who, who do you look up to in textile design? Like, who do you think are some of the greats? Oh, one of the greats, I would say, would be someone like Lucien Day, who she designed in the uh, 60s, 50s and 60s, and did very sort of like Festival of Britain type designs. I think that, I mean, we've got, well, there are still contemporaries. There's like Natalie Gibson here in this country that does sort of lovely ones with parrots and things like that. I mean, we're very lucky, I think, that coming from the Royal College, really fantastic textile designers came out of that. And then soon we're going here in London, we're going to have an exhibition of Warhol's textile designs because he did some amazing textile designs that no one gives credit to because it was before he founded the factory. So... It's going to be his early stuff that people had in catalogues that they didn't sort of, you know, would have been in Lord and & Taylor and, and across the shops in America and, and really notable designs. And so we're very, very excited about that. Uh, you know, one little story that I, I would love to hear you recount is your your hair kind of started, you started dying it pink as from an interview that I, I listened to. Um after, I think Vidal Sassoon had like a, a green wig and you had traveled maybe to Asia and you tried to do, thought you would see something red. And if you could recount that story of this sort of trip to the Far East and how it kind of. Oh, well, I went to, I went on a trip to China before China was red. It was China was navy blue or army uniforms when I went there in 79. There was not a single person in anything else, but I came back and created a collection in red and green and thought, oh, I should. And so I turned my hair. Basically, it's pink more than red, but it changed it. And that was 1980. And what, what brought you to China back then? Because that was a kind of a rare trip to make for anyone, you know. Oh, a friend of mine, a guy called R. Corey Hayes said, look, there's a group of friends going to China. Let's go on this trip with one of the first people. And it was quite amazing to go on something where we might as well have been dinosaurs or, you know, to the Chinese, they'd stop in the street and watch us walking through the street. You know, they hadn't seen anything like it. And and, um, and I mean, that brings me to another question of uh, of your travels and, you, you know, travel's been sort of a big part of your life and was... Were you doing a lot of trips around that time, like, you know, like Japan or Africa or anything like that? Or where were you? Where did you enjoy to travel to that kind of? A lot of my designs have been from going on fabulous trips. I mean, I went across America in 1976 in a Volkswagen camper and ended up doing a cactus and cowboy collection before Calvin Klein and um, Ralph Lauren did cowboy collections. And then I went into Mexico and I did a Mexican collection with a big print called Mexican Sombrero. So that 
my designs were very much influenced by the travels that I went on when I do drawings and create the prints that went with the from my drawings and turn them into collections. And did you travel solo? Did you travel with friends? Or no, I like usually travel with boyfriends, so it would be a semi-romantic trip. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did any of them last more than one trip, or just? Oh yes, they lasted more than one trip. Ah, <laughs> uh, good, lovely. Um, uh, and actually, the the your time in Mexico kind of brings me to the Fashion and Textile Museum, which I believe your your studio is is it connected to it? That's it, that, and that, it was designed yeah, yeah. by Ricardo Ligareta, the top Mexican architect. In its orange and pink, say no more. <laughs> <laughs> and what, how did you meet him and how did that happen? I bought this building in a very unchic part of London where at the time there was only one little restaurant and um, a pub and people worried that I'd w walk home safely. I felt that if I chose someone who did fairly simple buildings but very notable and colourful, it would pass the... Um, it would pass the planning permission more than some of the rather, let's say, people who might do a very exotic, difficult to build structure. And I felt his the structures he did were very memorable and very, you know, they, they always look wonderful. So I flew him to London first class on my mileage tickets <laughs> and um, said this is an up and coming area. And and it would be wonderful if you could do a design, you know, if you could design my building. And he agreed to do so. And in fact, I think that and now we've got the Shard at the end of the street and it's one of the most popular areas of London. So say no more. Well, you know, also congratulations on your your new collection with Ikea, which, of course, is a huge uh, it's a, a big deal and seen everywhere and, and is, you know, that was fun Quite to do, and I was lucky to be doing that continuing in in COVID times, you know, which is quite wonderful. How, how long did you work on it? Probably it was a culmination of a of nine months. I mean, we first of all had the team over to London to say to them, we think we could do a lovely job working with you, and they looked at different things. Then my team, we went there. And we were lucky enough to have got that far before the COVID shutdown. So then we could continue and finish the different parts of the job, which is quite wonderful. And, and I'd love to talk about uh, Rare Birds, which is this uh, new book that you're featured in, you and your home. Um, and your home is you know, super colorful. I know, very in this book. They've done lots of colorful bits. Yeah. And how do you, how does Zandra Rhodes, you know, go, go shopping for things for your home? How do you, I mean, you know, you, it's, your stuff is so singular and, and I so don't go shopping unique. for things for my home. I mean, suddenly I might be on a trip. If I'm on a trip to India, um, for example, I'm looking at a picture with a wooden carved tree in the background. I happen to see it in a junkyard in India. I was traveling with my wonderful friend, Andrew Logan. And Andrew, I said to him, it's wonderful in here, say, well, get it, and don't, and then you know, you can't say to yourself, "Oh, I'm, I'll, I'll look, and there might be something in another town." You've got to say to yourself, "I like this. This is going to stay with me," you know, so that you, you, you try and make the, you have to make the decision on the spot. It's something that you've fallen in love with, and it's something that you can live with. And 
<laughs> and I, I think you like to collect some ceramics too. Is that true? Oh, I have a collection of ceramics by um, mainly by Kate Malone and Carol McNichol, uh, who top English ceramicists. But I love ceramics. There's something wonderful to collect. And then I cry when I break them or chip them. <laughs> have you ever tried your hand at ceramics or something like that? I did it for a charity with Kate Malone where we um, we, we decorated pots, um, especially for, you know, raising money for young children to go have – because it's so difficult these days for young people to learn art and anything like that because it's been – it's been taken out of school curriculums, you know, so that it's quite good when um, they're able to access something like that. And I would say, you know, you've had, you know, your period of, of your designs that everyone has goes through highs and lows. And you've had this incredible career and you have a museum to your, you know, with your name on the door, more, more or less. And this fantastic career that that has so many legs. And I would say like, what would be, what do you think has been the secret to your own personal success in terms of reinvention and longevity? Never give up. Did you ever want to give up? No, no. I mean, I've had, had times when it's been particularly low, but I've never wanted to give up. I've, I mean, I've always said to myself, if I gave up, what would I do? Must be the same with you. You know, you you do something and, yeah, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Did you ever have a plan B, like a secret plan B? You were like, maybe I'll go into real estate. No, I didn't have a secret. <laughs> something else. No, I didn't have a secret plan B. So there was no point in falling flat on my face and, and not having anything to do. Exactly. And so what would what would you say is the the plan for you and your, your studio for the next five years or so what's what's on the at horizon? the moment it's been very exciting we've been cataloging every single collection i did i always saved the key garments that i felt were the most memorable and of those garments i'm now working out distributing them to uh, a big collection is going to go to the fashion and textile museum that i founded and then um i'm going to give work to the vna and to the uh, and to the Met and my key co Australian collection, I'm going to donate to um, two of the top museums in Australia, the Powerhouse and the museum in Melbourne. And how is your when you we kind of go through your archives? What um, you know sometimes when you're going through that stuff, you you kind of come across things you may have forgotten or little pleasant surprises that you may have you know, lost a memory. Did you discover, when you're going through your archives, did you discover anything special or anything you didn't remember or? It was like seeing one's children before they grow up. You know, you look at different things and you say, oh, that's a wonderful one to remember. And and we revamp some of them. You know, some of them when we, we thought that they shouldn't, it's really mainly to make sure that they don't get forgotten and that the key ones, like, in fact, it was wonderful when Harold Coder retired from the Met. The one thing he really wanted more than anything else was my punk wedding dress. So it's wonderful for that to happen to me and know that the dresses are in safe and memorable safekeeping. Were you able to save most of your dresses or are there things that are kind of lost to 
that weren't I think know, sold I've, out? Or... Well, I think I've saved mainly the ones I, I think I believe in. And, uh, um, and I hope that the other ones that slip through my fingers are going to be treasured and looked after. Is there anything left that you would like to do now that, um, you know, in this part of your career, is there any kind of like, you know, after the the archive and anything like that, but in terms of new designs, is there anything that you have your eye on? No, I leave my mind open to suggestions so that a lovely project could come up that I could then spend time on. A special thanks to my guests, Zonda Rhodes, and to Kelly Robinson and Violet Naylor-Leyland for making this episode happen. The editor of The Grand Tourist is Stan Hall. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein to learn more. And sign up with your email for updates at thegrandtourist.net. And don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. Till next time. May I ask you a, a very personal New Yorker question? Yes. What kind of bagel does Zandra Rhodes order when she's in New York? When you get the chance of, of bagel? Oh, I think I like cream cheese with salmon. <laughs> plain, plain or sesame? Or like mm, poppy or what kind sesame of Sesame is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I ever see you, I'll come over and I'll bring one. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs>